Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh, dear respected listeners. With the grace of Allah, we recommenced our discussion on the history of Iran last week. Last year, we were discussing the initial conquest of Iran. Thereafter, we mentioned Iran during the dynasties of the Umayyads and the Abbasids. And last week, we began discussing the 16th century, which was a turning point in the history of Iran and the beginning of the Shiification of Iran under the Safavids. We spoke about their history, their beginnings, their origins, and also mentioned that the first ruler, the Shah Ismail I, uh, in the early 16th century, brought about fundamental changes in this region and forcibly converted many people to Shiism. It was also a time of religious intolerance and uh, Muslim, um, Sunni Muslims were faced with uh, extreme uh, circumstances being forcibly converted or either executed or exiled. And um, we, we began mentioning a number of, of, of the uh, changes which were brought about by Shah Ismail I. So some of the other issues which were brought about by him, uh, by the Safavids to institute uh, this religion and to firmly embed it in Iran. Uh, another one was the establishment of a very raucous and almost carnival-like holiday on the 26th of Dhul-Hijjah, which was a celebration of the murder of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We do know that the, it was done at the hands of a Persian slave. So it was a day of celebration for the Persians and for the Shia in, early, um, in the early Safavid rule. So the highlight of the day for them was the making of an effigy of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, which was cursed, insulted, and finally burned. And alhamdulillah, uh, as relations between uh, Sunni Muslim countries and Iran improved, this holiday was no longer observed. Another issue brought about by in the initial stages of the Safavids was that they would make sure that no one would name their children after the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, especially the first three Khulafa, um, uh, which is Abu Bakr, Umar, and, uh, Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman radiallahu anhum. And this is particularly strange because Ali radiallahu anhum himself had named his own sons, uh, Umar, Abu Bakr, and Uthman, amongst many other sons which he had. And uh, Abu Bakr and Uthman bin Ali, the sons of Ali radiallahu anhu, these two, Abu Bakr and Uthman, they were both killed with Hussein radiallahu anhu at Karbala. Um, Hassan radiallahu anhu, the grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu he also named one of his sons Abu Bakr, and Hussein radiallahu anhu had also named one of his sons Umar. So uh, this is particularly strange, but this was uh, institutionalized by the Safavids as well. So Shah Ismail, he imported a new Shia ulama corps from the traditional uh, Shiite centers of the Arabic-speaking lands. And they were largely from the south of Lebanon, from Syria, and from southern Iraq. And he did this in order to create a state, a state clergy. Um, he offered them land and money in return for their loyalty. And uh, these scholars, they taught the doctrine of the 12, Shia, the, the 12, uh, Shia, of 12 Shiism, and they made it accessible to the population, and obviously they energetically co encouraged conversion to Shiism. 
and to really emphasize how scarce travel Shiism was to be uh, to be found at that time in Iran, uh, one of the chronicler, chroniclers tell us that only one Shia text could be found in the capital city of Ismail, which was Tabriz. And uh, they therefore relied heavily on the new imported Arab Shiite scholars who, uh, who informed the public regarding uh, the new beliefs. The rulers of, these, of Safavid Persia, they also invited these foreign Shiite scholars to their court in order to, to, write, to, to provide legitimacy uh, for their own rule over Persia. Abbas I of Persia, another, the, 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 the next Shah, during his reign, he also imported more Arab scholars, uh, Shia scholars to Iran, and he built religious institutions for them, including many madrasas, and also successfully uh, persuaded them to participate in the government, which they had shunned in the past. In terms of politics, just to branch off very quickly, we, do, we did mention that the, most, uh, the, the biggest problem politically for the Shias was their neighbor, which was the powerful Ottoman Empire. And the Ottomans, who were considered, uh, they had considered the active recruitment of the Turkmen tribes of Anatolia, which they were, which they were ruling, um, the active recruitment on behalf of the Safavids, they regarded this as a major threat. And to counter the rising Safavid power, uh, Sultan Bayezid in the year 1502 had forcefully deported many Shias from Anatolia to other parts of uh, the Ottoman uh, Empire. Um, in 1511, there was a widespread pro-Shia and pro-Safavid uprising which was directed against the Ottoman Empire from within the empire and this caused more turmoil for the Ottomans. We did discuss, as we mentioned last week, how the first battle fought between uh, the two, uh, the Safavids and the Ottomans, was in the year 1514, when Sultan Salim invaded Western Armenia, and he eventually took the city of Tabriz, but had to retreat uh, due to the winter, once the Safavids had uh, uh, sought escape in the Persian highlands and in, in, in the mountains. The second or, or the next Shah thereafter was Ismail II. And Ismail II's reign was markedly different to his predecessor uh, and his namesake Ismail. Um, this particular era between 1576 and uh, for the a few years where he was there, it was marked by a pro-Sunni policy. And... Uh, with the assistance of his new Sadr, of his new ruler, Ismail II, he strove to reverse the anti-Sunni practices among the populace, and more specifically, he strove to halt the public defamation of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and the ritual cursing of Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman radiallahu anhum. There are a few motives which may account for his approach to his anti-Sunni propaganda, and a primary one was that he was keen to comply with one of the Ottoman demands uh, of a peace treaty concluded between the two, the, the, the peace of, uh, of Amasya, this, this peace treaty which called for an end of the vilification of the first three Sunni Khalifs, which uh, placated the uh, Ottomans and solidified his own uh, personal position. And another reason uh, was his attempt to weaken the clerics as he attempted to forcibly demand land grants from some of the uh, Shia ulama. The rule of Shah Abbas. Shah Abbas was another Shah, 
And uh, during uh, his reign, the Safawi dynasty reached its height. And this was between the years of 1587 and 1629. So he ruled for a greater part of three decades. And it was during his reign that Persia once again came to be known in Europe as a superpower because it was the greatest opponent of the Ottomans. And it was the wars between the two which actually saved Europe because the Ottomans were too occupied in in the east fighting Iran to make much headway in the west. And a correct assessment of the situation can be made from the following extract from the letter addressed by Ferdinand, who was the king of Spain. So he says, and I will quote him, he says, between us and the destruction, uh, between us and destruction and ruin, Iran is the only obstacle. The Turks would have surely pressed us further, but the Iranians are a hindrance for them. The war between, between the Turks and the Iranians has provided us with an opportunity to gain time. It has, however, not eliminated the real danger. So Allah alone knows how Islam would have spread through Europe had the Ottomans not had to deal with the thorn in their side, uh, on the, on the, in the eastern side, which was, which was uh, the Safavids. So Shah Abbas, he first fought the Uzbeks, and he recaptured uh, Herat and Mashhad in 1598, He then turned against the Ottomans, recaptured Baghdad, eastern Iraq, and the Caucasian provinces uh, in the year 1622. And he also used his new force that he had created to dislodge the Portuguese from Bahrain, as well as the English Navy from Hormuz. And he expanded commercial links with with the English East India Company, as well as the Dutch East India Company. Due to his fear of, of assassination, Shah Abbas either put to death or blinded any member of his family who aroused his suspicion. And in this way, one of his sons was executed and two were blinded. And since two other sons had predeceased him, when he, when he died in 1629, he had no son capable of succeeding him. Um, he, so Shah Abbas brought about the uh, the golden era of the Safavids from, uh, from, from their perspective, uh, where he now uh, was able to consolidate power and fight many uh, successful wars against his neighbors. It's even, the, uh, even against the Mughals. The once invincible Mughal army was dealt a series of embarrassing defeats under Shah Jahan uh, when um, uh, Shah Abbas had launched his attacks against them. Persia had taken Kandahar and thwarted three attempts by the Mughals to win it back thereafter. So in general, the Safavid Empire was a powerful empire during its reign for that two centuries. But after the death of Shah Abbas in 1666, uh, the the, the entire empire began uh, to decline. There are a number of reasons for it. It resulted, um, according to analysts, from decreasing agricultural productivity, from reduced trade, from excessive taxation, and in administration as well. There were a number of weak rulers. There was interference of the woman in the harem in the politics, according to the, according to, to the chroniclers, and also the re-emergence of the Kizil-Bash rivalries, which we had discussed earlier on. The last two rulers, Shah Suleiman and Shah Sultan Hussein, they only enjoyed their titles, but weren't able to make any significant contributions. 
um, once again, the eastern frontiers began to be breached. And in 1722, a small body of Afghan tribesmen, they won a series of easy victories before entering and taking the capital itself, ending the Safavid rule in the year 1722. So the Safavid dynasty collapsed in the year 1722 when Isfahan was conquered without much of a fight by the Afghan tribesmen and uh, the Turks and the Russians picked up the pieces thereafter. Um, After the Safavid Empire fell, Persia was ruled by three different dynasties in 55 years, including the Afghans from the year 1736 to 1747. So that was the rule of the Safavids from the year 1500 to 1722 approximately. So approximately 200 and, um, 220 years that they ruled. Um, despite the Safavids' efforts, the Sunni Muslims were able to survive in rural Iran and also among some of the country's minority ethnic groups. Um, scholars posit that, the Sunni, that Sunni Islam in Iran was able to survive due to the flight of some of the Sunnis from urban areas to the rural parts of the country outside of the government's reach. Also, according to the scholars, um, there were a number of remote and rural communities, such as those of many non-Persian ethnic groups in Iran, which were already outside the reach of the Safavid government, and therefore they were able to preserve their Sunni faith. And even today, as we will discuss in the future, inshallah, Sunni Islam is, uh, in Iran is still concentrated primarily in regions with large populations of ethnic Kurds, uh, Balochs, and Turkmen. And these include the provinces of West Azerbaijan, Kurdistan, and Kermanshah. Um, there are also ethnically Persian and Arab Sunni communities, which also exist in southern and western Iran. In uh, 18th, the 18th and 19th century, uh, this saw the, uh, the Qajar dynasty coming to power. And um, during, this t- during this time on, and after them, uh, Iran fell under the increasing pressure of European nations, particularly the Russian and uh, the Russians and the British. So the Qajars, they ruled from 1789 to 1925. And they were one of the largest families in Iran uh, who had ruled for approximately 150 years. This dynasty was notoriously known for its incompetence and the Iranian economy declined during this period. The founder was Agha Muhammad Khan, who held his coronation ceremony in 1796 in Tehran. And the last Qajar king, was Ahmad Shah, who was overthrown in the year 1904. And that brings us to the end of our discussion for today. And bi'idhnillah, we are hoping to continue with two more episodes on Iran, uh, where we'll focus on the, la- on, on the modern history of Iran and also some of the very interesting sites which are worth visiting in Iran today. Jazakallahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.